You know, if it's not a business that we want to be involved with, you know, uh, and there's plenty of, of legal businesses that we don't want to be involved with, right? I mean, they could have put a package store, right? A liquor store there or a cigarette store there, you know, and no, we're not going to do that, you know. So, but a health food store, you know, we could do that. That'd be all right. Um, and so um, on the back table, I think Chris put it out, a prophecy that the Lord gave us. It's, I guess, a month ago now, a month ago exactly today, March 14th, April 14th there. So if you want a copy of that, that's back there. Um, and uh, any other announcements? I think we're good, right? Ladies Fellowship, Saturday at 11 o'clock here at the church. Um, and so, praise God. Well, why don't we pray and uh, we'll get into the word tonight. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for blessing us, Father, for giving us uh, the spirit of God and wisdom and revelation insight into your word. And, Father, we thank you for watching over us each and every day. We thank you for supernatural signs and wonders and diverse miracles that operate in our lives and through our ministry. And, Father, we give you all the praise and the glory for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll get started there today. So, um, Ephesians, chapter 6. Of course, we've been here for a little while, but um, uh, it says here in verse... uh, 18 that praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints so uh, that word where it says all prayer different translations bring out that it's either all kinds of prayer or all manner of prayer and so there's different kinds of prayers in the in the bible and it's helpful to kind of look at some of those and look at the examples that they have uh, given to us in the word of god you know, what, what do they use? What words do they say in these prayers? What words do they not say in this prayer? So we talked about the prayer of faith, for example, that never uses the word if, right? You shouldn't use the Lord. If it's your will, then, you know, let me get this house. Well, you should know whether it's the will of God to purchase that thing prior to you asking him for that thing, right? So you should always base your life on knowing what the will of God is. And, you know, uh, a good question uh, for us is, can we know the will of God for our lives? Does the Bible tell us that we can know the will of God? Well, it does, right? And we know Colossians 1.9 says that we can be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Ephesians uh, 5.17 says, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we have the capacity to know. And of course, the, uh, uh, in the book of John, talking about the spirit of God, says that, that uh, he will lead us into all truth and show us things to come. So he's the revealer, right? He reveals things to us. And, and the number one thing that he would need to reveal to us, really more than anything else, is what's God's will for our life. Where does he want us to go and do and say? And uh, that's really one of the primary ministries of the Spirit of God. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's really... Uh, I mean, and, of course, we talk a lot about that topic around here because just knowing that, you know, in the general church, that's really rare that people spend time to find out what the will of God is before they move, before they take a step, before they purchase something, before they sign a document. Lord, what's your will? Uh, and, and a lot of times, uh, the way we, uh, we in the church have determined the will of God is we go try something, and if it's successful, then it was God. And, and if it's not successful, then it clearly wasn't God. And that's really a poor way to measure things because you're measuring the Spirit of God by natural things, right? You, you go and do a natural thing, and then you measure that natural thing and whatever measure of success you think is reasonable because who's deciding what's successful, right? And I guess you are. Uh, and then so I, I go to buy a car and it didn't come through. So I guess God didn't want me to get that car. 
well, how do you know that God didn't want you to get your car, right? Because we know in, from Paul's writing that uh, one time he said that, that Satan hindered him from going to preach the gospel somewhere. It was the will of God for him to go, but, and he doesn't give us any specifics other than he said that, that, that uh, Satan hindered him. So because he couldn't go, was, it, was, it, was, then it, was it God's will for him not to go? No, it was God's will for him to go, but for whatever reason, the circumstances uh, kept him from going. So we should never, ever say, well, this happened, therefore it must have been God's will that either it did occur or it didn't occur, whatever happened in your life. Because uh, you should always be careful of, of using any natural event to determine the will of God. And, you know, people have said these things over the years. Well, you know, the devil's really acting up. God must be getting ready to do something. Well, the, uh, then, then what are we using to determine the will of God in that case? We're actually using the work of the devil, right? So we, we don't have any idea what God's doing, so we're going to go watch the devil, and that will tell us what God's doing. Well, why don't we watch the Spirit of God? Seemed like that'd be a lot easier, right? Because just go to the source. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, I'll be glad to tell you. Uh, and so, but it, even in our circles, charismatic, word of faith circles, I hear a lot of times, you know, things like that. Well, you know, devil's really acting up. God must be getting ready. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having more opposition than ever before in my life. God must be getting ready to do something big. Well, it could be you're just slightly out of the will of God and, you know, over on the devil's territory. And, you know, he's going to operate in his territory, clearly. And so... Maybe you're just in sin. Maybe you're out of the will of God to begin with, and that's why there's so much opposition there, right? I mean, that could be it. It may not be that, but, you know, when, when Jesus went to his own hometown there in, in the book of Mark, you know, it says that he could there do what? No mighty works. So then it must have not been God's will for him to go, right? Because he wasn't successful. Is that true? Well, no. I mean, did Jesus do everything by the will of God? So he went to Nazareth by the will of God. The Lord sent him to go to Nazareth. The Lord instructed him, you go to Nazareth and you go preach to God like you've done everywhere else. Preach, heal, and deliver, right? Do, do what you do. And he gets there and because of their unbelief, he marveled at their unbelief. So that's a lot of unbelief, right? When, you, when it's so big, you marvel because other times he marveled at their faith, but this time he marveled at their unbelief. So, well, he was just out of the will of God. See, his ministry wasn't successful, so therefore, it wasn't God's will for him to go to begin with, right? Well, uh, no, Jesus was clearly in the will of God always, right? Uh, and so, and sometimes God will send you someplace knowing that it's, you're going to fail as far as men are concerned, right? That you're not going to be successful in what you think is reasonable. Um, but he, a lot of times he'll do that because he cares about the other person. So he, did he care about the people in Nazareth? Well, sure. Does he, did he love the people in Nazareth? Sure. Did he desire for them to be blessed by the ministry of Jesus uh, by going to Nazareth? Sure. So that's why he sent Jesus, because he loved the people of Nazareth. And even though Jesus was unsuccessful, the people of Nazareth can never say, Lord, you never sent us anybody. You know, you, you, you didn't send us. So, so that's why we're all in sin. No. Uh, you know, so sometimes God does that just to, to uh, be a just God so that when judgment falls, uh, they don't have an excuse. Well, we never heard the gospel. He sent his very own son to your location. Well, you know, we didn't like how he dressed. What's that got to do with anything, right? But there be people who make excuses about anything, right? Well, you know, his hair was too long or too short or, you know, he talked with a funny accent. We didn't like any of that stuff. And so, uh, and of course, one of my favorite examples is our good friend Noah. You know, the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Well, was it the will of God for him to be a preacher? 
He was called to be a preacher, right? That was his calling, to be a preacher. He wasn't called to build an ark. He was called to be a preacher. Building an ark was just a necessary thing to do in his life. But uh, he was called to be a preacher of righteousness. And, and uh, you know, how long did he preach? A hundred years, right? Uh, and, um, you know, I don't know. Even if I live to be 120, I won't have preached a hundred years, right? Because I didn't start preaching really till my 30s. Um, I preached a little bit before that, but, you know, not, not on a regular basis. I won't even make it to Noah's, you know, of course he lived, you know, 900 something years, right? Uh, I don't know, did he live that long? I don't recall how, how old Noah lived, but he lived a long time. Uh, well, he preached for 100 years. And outside his family, how many converts did he have? None. So it was clearly not in the will of God, right? Look, I mean, he had no success. So, you know, we can't measure being in the will of God by how men would measure success, right? So you just have to do the will of God. You have to get it inside you and do the will of God. And, and you know, one of my favorite things that Dr. Dufresne used to say is always follow God's will and leave the consequences of following his will with him. So you do it. Well, nobody came to the Lord. That's not on me. I came and presented the gospel. Noah went and presented the gospel. Nobody wanted to receive it. You think about that. No, a hundred years, nobody wanted to see it, wanted to receive the, the gospel that, uh, that he spoke. Uh, and so, uh, so clearly, Noah was outside the will of God, wasn't he? No, he was 100% in the will of God. So just be careful of ever saying, well, this happened, therefore it must have not been God's will. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I applied for this job and I didn't get it. God must have not wanted me to have this, this, this job. And, of course, I never respond. I never say anything. But I'm thinking, why didn't you know before you applied or before, you know, you signed the paper whether or not you should take that job? You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with going to applying for jobs because sometimes you don't know if it's the right job for you till you get there, right? You get in the building and, you know, just you ever been in a building? It's like, something's odd about this building. You know, I, I don't need to be here. But you wouldn't know that until you're in the building. And so, it's, you know, it, it never hurts. Uh, one of the things that I like that Willie George always said, he said, it never hurts to go all the way up to the point of just before signing the paper to find the will of God. Because sometimes you have to go down that far to, to determine what the will of God. Now, you're not measuring, you're not looking at spreadsheets and going, well, this is better, the pros and cons over here, and pros and cons over there. You're just always going with an attitude of, Lord, I'm going to be sensitive through this process. And if I get so far in this process, then, uh, you know, then I'm not going to pursue it, right? And I've done that with like business dealings and you get all the way up to there, and then at the end you go, just not the right thing, you know. And I've backed out of business dealings, and I didn't have to violate any contracts or anything. You know, there was out clauses, you know, and, and you get right up to the end and go, you know, I'm going to back out of this. Well, you know, well, you could do this or this. I could, but I'm not going to. I'm going to back out of this deal because I just don't sense it's the will of God for, for this. Now, I don't tell people that I don't sense the will of God because they, they think you're crazy because they think you're crazy anyway backing out of the business deal. But um, so... You know, now, of course, you've got to be careful to not sign on the dotted line and then kind of back out of it. Because once you sign on the dotted line, now you're responsible, right? So just be careful about uh, not being a person of your word. So, so you know, in, all, in all of these things, um, you know, we talked about if. That's how we get on all this discussion, right? Prayer of faith never uses the word if. The prayer of consecration, dedication. Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll be glad to do it. That's, that's when you use the word if. And then you go and find out, Lord, if you want me to do this, so what do you want me to do? You know, but but uh, uh, and, you know, if you know with where you're at is the will of God, that's a good time to pray the prayer of consecration. So like right now, you know, uh, 
I'm in the will of God. I'm preaching at this church. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm in the will of God. I believe I'm in the will of God. I, as far as I know in my heart, I'm 100% in the will of God. And my prayer of commitment, my, my prayer of consecration, dedication, and I do pray this prayer. I say, Lord, if you want me to be in this church the rest of my life, in this building, at this address, I'll be glad to do it. That's my prayer to him. In that way, you know, if a new shiny church shows up over there or, you know, somebody calls up over here, you know, hey, you know, come, you know, we'll pay you double what you're paying now, right? Well, I'm not getting paid anything, so, you know, that, that'd be a pretty good deal, right? A, a double of that. How about triple? You want to do triple? Uh, and so that way I'm not tempted to look across the road and look across the parking lot and say, well, I might be better off over there. Uh, now, if the Lord directs me over there, that's different, right? But see, it keeps, it keeps that flesh in the right place. It keeps you from being led by the flesh and being led by my emotions of, well, you know, uh, nobody sat in that chair, so I'm just mad, you know, because that chair should have been filled. And, and so I'm just going to go somewhere else where that chair will be full. Uh, well, then, then I'm basing the will of God on that chair. And that chair has never died for me or shed any blood for me or led me or supernaturally or healed me or anything, right? And so, so you just got to be careful in those things. So the prayer of uh, consecration dedication is, is helpful. And so uh, let's turn over to the book of uh, Philippians. Um, this is uh, the next prayer that we want to look at, uh, Philippians chapter 4. This is called the prayer of commitment, where you're committing all of your life to the Lord, really, and all, all of the uh, things that you're doing to the Lord. And, um, uh, and, and of course, we're going to look at First Peter here in just a minute, too. But uh, uh, it says here, let's start out in... In verse 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, we know where Paul was when he wrote this verse, right? Where was Paul when he wrote Philippians 4, 4? He was in prison, right? And he told us to rejoice. Uh, and so, how many times have you, you know, talk, try to talk to people, well, you just got it so much easier than I got it. Uh, it's still true with, that you're supposed to rejoice, Right? Well, it's easy for you to rejoice, you know, because you blah, 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 you know, whatever they got excuses they got. Because no matter uh, no matter how bad you think you got it, the person that you're talking to always thinks they got it worse. Right. And, oh, yeah, I stubbed my toe. Oh, yeah. Well, I stubbed my whole foot. OK, I guess that's possible. I don't know. But, you know, they ever have people compete with you to the bottom of the barrel. You think you feel bad. Everything hurts in me. Right. And, uh, and even my dog hurts. And, and, you know, I mean, I just add to it. And, uh, and so. But no, we're supposed to rejoice. Uh, did you say rejoice in the Lord always as long as things are good in your life? Rejoice again. Rejoice in the Lord always as long as people are treating you nice. Rejoice in the Lord always as long as you're getting, you know, uh, a paycheck. I mean, is there any limits on this rejoicing in the Lord always? No. Always means what? Always, right? That's pretty deep and, you know, takes a Ph.D. to figure that out, right? Always means always. And so we should rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, good times, bad times, and, and, and all the times in between, Right. And when I say bad times, I'm just talking about when, when the devil is really attacking you and doing things, right? I'm not saying when, when you're broke and, you know, you're sick and all those things. That's, that's, we shouldn't be having those bad times. The only bad times that the Lord ever instructed the church that we will have to go through is persecution. But persecution is on the outside, right? Persecution is not in my heart. It's not in my mind. It's not in my physical body. It's, it's, it's on the outside of me. So once I get... Uh, on the inside of that line of all those people doing whatever they're doing, I should be full of joy. I can be a person that rejoices always because all the conflict is outside of me. Uh, that's where I should live, right? Uh, and really this prayer is going to help us get to that point. 
so we can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So is that a suggestion? It's a commandment, right? Well, I just can't. Well, then you're telling the Lord that, that he is unjust in requiring you to do something that you are unable to do. Is the Lord ever unjust? He's not just. So if the Lord says to rejoice, then there's a couple of things that's helpful to understand about verses like this. And the, the Bible is full of verses like that. Number one, it's not a suggestion. It's a requirement. Number two, if he says to do it, then you have the capacity, the ability, the power, the strength, the grace to do it. Well, I just can't do it. That's not true. Technically, it's not true. Now, what's really true is, well, I don't want to expend the faith to do it. Well, then that's true, right? That makes us look bad, though we don't like that. Because if we say, I can't do it, it's not my fault. It, it, it's, it's not got anything to do with me. It's just not possible. It's just nobody could do that. And so we're, what are we doing? We're trying to remove personal responsibility from the word, right? And, and that always gets you in trouble because, you know, I, I meet so many people and talk to folks. And when I listen to them, their whole life is about trying to say that they are not responsible to do the word of God. Thinking that someday when they stand before the Lord, that that will cover, carry over into their discussion with the Lord. Because he's, he's going to ask us only one question. Did you do my will? He's not going to ask us, did you build a house or a building or preach the gospel or go somewhere? He's going to ask you, did you do what I asked you to do? Because for one person, he, he may ask this guy to do one thing and he may ask this guy to do 10 things. And as long as that guy does one and that guy does 10, they're both faithful to do what they were told to do, right? Uh, and, you know, some people, you know, Billy Graham preached to millions of people around the world. And, and you know, another evangelist may be called to preach to thousands of people around the world around his town, right? Not even get outside of his city. And, and uh, as long as they both did it, would they be faithful? And would they receive a reward? Sure they would. So you know, it's the Lord's only going to ask you, did you do his will? But, but it's so common in the church for people to say things on a regular basis that I can't and it's impossible, it's too hard, or, you know, I don't know how. And, you know, it, it's just, uh, uh, it makes me uncomfortable and, uh, but all of those phrases are used to try to remove the responsibility of what the word tells us to do. Well, you just don't understand. That's an excuse. That's, a, that's a, a, an attempt to remove the responsibility of rejoicing always, right? Uh, and, and it's not to be hard on people, but you know, my, my desire is for you to understand that so that you don't fall into that trap so that when you do stand before the Lord, you, know, you don't just come up with a string of excuses that you know, at the end of it, he's going to go blah, 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 blah. Because... None of it's going to be true because don't we have the spirit of God on the inside of us? Don't we have the word of God? Don't we have like one of the best churches in the entire universe right here in Dayton, Tennessee that can teach you the word of God, teach you faith? Uh, you know, don't you have the the don't you have access to all of the faith of God? Well, sure you do. Right. You have access to the power of the spirit of God. You know, I was just thinking about the spirit of God the other day about, you know, any time that you see power being expended in the in the bible old testament new testament anytime power goes forth it's the work of the spirit of god you know so god the father he's over everything jesus is kind of like the the chief operating officer he he's the the great authority uh, the godhead but then the spirit of god is the great power of the godhead so uh the lord says this is what i want to do and jesus says, okay this, this is how we're going to do it now spirit of god you go do that and that's kind of how they work together and and anytime, so so all the power well, all that power that created the universe, right? When Jesus said, uh, let there be light, then the Holy Spirit had to go figure out, okay, hang on, let me go figure out how to create light from nothing because he said, let there be light. But later on, he created the sun and the moon and stars, right? So, you know, it's like, don't you know you got that out of order, Lord? But 
you know, he didn't ask our opinion. So, so uh, the, the, the Spirit of God created all this. Every single thing in the universe, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit created it. And he lives on the inside of you right now. That, that same power that moved the, everything, every single planet. You know, we'd just be throw the move a, a pebble. Well, you think about how many pebbles there are in the earth. And then how many earths there are in the, in the world, in the universe, right? The Spirit of God in one instant created all of them. And that same power lives in you everywhere you go. So where do you lack power? Why is it that you lack power? Is it because God's withholding power? No, did he give you the Holy Spirit but say, you know, use only in case of emergency, right? Put it behind a glass door, you know, break in case of emergency, but otherwise leave it alone? Uh, no, uh, you know, the Spirit of God is there to do his job, amen, to produce power in the earth. And through you, you, you are the covenant, the, the carrier of the power of God. So, so to say that, that we can't do these things, you know, it's, it's going back where we're trying to figure out a way where we are not responsible someday. And I don't want you to fall in that trap because, uh, you know, the Lord, the, what's going to happen, I can guarantee you what's going to happen is he's going to call up a bunch of church people and say, hey, did you do my will? Well, Lord, I couldn't do it. I, you know, it was too hard and whatever. And then he's going to say, hang on a second, pastor so-and-so, come here. Did you tell him to do the word of God? Well, I told him to try, and if they don't make it, you know, then, then you'll understand. Okay, you guys, you go take a break. I had to deal with a pastor here for, for another thousand years. You know, let me get him straightened out because that's a mess right there, right? Uh, and, um, you know, I told you about the one pastor at the church that was reading uh, Matthew 26 where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he said, uh, you know, Lord, if there be no way, let's pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, and he said, see, his will wasn't to go to the cross, but he didn't get what he wanted, so he didn't get his prayers answered. So if Jesus can't get his prayers answered, then you can't get, you can't get your prayers answered. And the person who was telling me this, you know, if it was me, I'd be like, okay, I've got to throw my shoe at this guy. I mean, there's, you know, a paper, paper, water paper or something, you know. I mean, not anything that would hurt him, but just, you know, Gotta let them know my dissatisfaction with this statement because that's just so un. I mean, it's just it's heresy, right? I mean, it's just he, Jesus didn't get his prayers answered. What's wrong with us, right? But see, the problem though wasn't the pastor that said it, which was a problem. But the real problem was the fellow that heard that said that took off so much pressure off my life. Now I am no longer responsible if if I don't get my prayers answered. It's not my fault. Even Jesus couldn't get his prayers answered. So. I'm, I, I'm surely not as good or better than Jesus. So if he can't get his prayers answered, then when I don't get my prayers answered, it's not my fault. But whose fault is it if you don't get your prayers answered? How, how, how often is it your fault if you don't get your prayers answered? Every single time. Is there any exceptions? No. I mean, didn't Jesus say that, that all the promises of God are in him what? Yes, and in him, amen. Didn't he say all the promises? Well, aren't, your, aren't your, all your prayers based on the promises of God? I mean, sure, you're not coming up with things that aren't the promise of God. What would you ask for that's not the promise of God, right? Uh, something, I mean, something sinful, maybe, but uh, that's another, you know, that, that, of course, wouldn't work anyway. But. So we, we want to make sure that we never use words and phrases that remove our responsibility or that attempts to remove us because it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really remove your responsibility. I mean, you just... You know, you're speeding and you tell the police officer, I didn't know there was a speed limit there. Does he go, oh, I'm sorry. Have a good day, go on, right? Now, what's he going to say? Ignorance is what? Uh, ignorance is not an excuse, right? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. That's what they tell you, right? It doesn't matter if you didn't see 
that's that uh, that speed limit sign, right? Uh, and um, you know, I got this. I got this new car. It's got like like seven cameras, and it actually is reading the speed limit signs for me. It puts it on my screen right there, you know, because you just read it. It's like, oh yeah, you, you got to slow down. And sometimes it'll slow down for me. Yeah, you're going too fast. And it's got the little saying on there. So take your foot off the gas pedal, dummy. Uh, and and uh, you know, it's like, okay, this thing's just too smart, right? But it's it's reading all that stuff. So. Uh, so ignorance of, a, of the law is no excuse. And, and um, I had to go to uh, traffic court as, as a uh, support person. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't actually, you know, other people in my family have been getting tickets lately, but, but I haven't gotten one, you know. Uh, and so, but they will all re- remain nameless. Uh, but uh, so I'm in traffic court, and, and this, <laughs> this, this lady had run one of her red lights here in town, right? You know, they're on a pole. And, and the judge is like, well, Why'd you run that red light, you know? She said, well, I'm not used to seeing red lights on a pole. You know, they're used to being, you know. So you didn't see the giant three-foot, you know, they're here. you ever seen a red light? They're up close, they're huge, right? They're like three feet tall. Yeah, you didn't see that red light. No, I didn't see it. Like, right, you know. And <laughs> it's like, you, there's no way you could not see it, right? I mean, if you really couldn't see it, then you're probably not qualified to drive because if you can't see that, yeah. I mean, how are you going to see anything, right? But, you know, and so... But she was trying to remove the responsibility. You know, it wasn't my, it wasn't my, it was just the red light's fault. Well, you know, she ended up still burying herself somehow. I forget what she said after that, you know, because after that, it's like, what in the world, you know? Uh, and, you know, the, the judge, he sort of every excuse in the world, I'm sure, you know. They should write books because the excuses are just like, really? You know, there was a nuclear war? There was no nuclear war, you know? Uh, well, I thought there was, you know, and, and, and so, um, so that was a lot of discussion about verse four there, right? Rejoice not always. So are we required to rejoice always? Yes. Is there ever a situation where you have a right and excuse to not rejoice? No. Because number one, if you have all the answers, if Jesus is the answer for everything and he is, what scenario would you not be able to rejoice in? Because wouldn't it be rejoiceful to know, hey, uh, this, this uh, situation, the, all these people are against me. Let's just back up and see how the Lord delivers me. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've done that exact same thing. You know, maybe uh, things get tight financially or whatever, and, and we look, well, as far as we know, we're in the will of God, you know, but, you know, for some reason, you know, there's not enough money to do this, and, and uh, let's just see how the Lord operates. You want to? And that's happened so many times. You know, I, I remember when I was in college as a senior, uh, you know, I went through college, and, of course, by that time, you know, my, uh, I was an orphan going through college. And, you know, I was always really good with money because, all my money was, that was it, right? That was, I would work during the summers and stuff, pay for school. And, and um, but on my, my senior year of college, getting close to graduating, and I'm just out of money, just, you know. And, uh, and there's no money coming in because at the end of a graduation, then I'm on my own. I've got to go get a job. And, and so I went to the Lord and said, Lord, you know, I, um, I need some money. I'm out of money. And, you know, I could have gone and got student loans. You know, they give you loans like crazy. You know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Have all this money for free, right? Never have to pay it back until you do. Uh, and so, uh, so I don't want to go get a student loan because the Lord's, isn't the Lord bigger than that? Now, look, if you got student loans, none of my business. I'm not trying to, you know, tell you you're a terrible person or anything like that. It's, not, it's, it's just for me, that wasn't an option. wasn't going to do that because I knew the Lord. He'd, he'd helped me all through college, and I didn't see any reason for him to stop now. Uh, and so I said, Lord, you know, I need some money. And, um, and I figured out I need $40. That's all I needed to make it the rest of the year. $40 cash would have got me all the way, right? I mean, 
$40 cash, you know, of course, you know, it's, it's still real money, right? But um, um, yeah, that's all I needed. I didn't need $400 or $4,000. I need $40. Just make it to the... So, and so, uh, you know, and I didn't have time to, you know, go get a job and, you know, didn't need the, the responsibility of that. And then out of the blue, like within days, you know, uh, not even that long, uh, somebody called me up and said, hey, I heard you do artwork. Now, you know... That's a kind of a stretch. I mean, I have drawn some pictures, and, you know, I used to actually be involved in art a lot and, and um, you know, won some contests, you know, some state fairs and, you know, county fairs and that sort of thing, and just, you know, really gotten out of, out of that over long, pretty, over the years. Maybe one of these days I'll get back into it. Uh, but um, uh, she said, well, I need this thing done. How much would you charge me? I said, I'll charge you $40 to do that. She said, deal. And so I drew up her some pictures, you know, and, and she gave me 40 bucks, and I made it to the rest but see, so, so when situations like that arise in my life, I've done this for so long and so many times, it just, I just step back and go, let's just see how the Lord's going to do it. Do you want to? Let's just see what he does. Because he's required to do it. He's my father. He's Ted. He would. He said he would deliver me, right? He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord does what? Delivers them out of how many? All of them, unless they're really hard, and then it's just too bad, right? No, if he, if he really does deliver you out of them all, then you should be able to rejoice and say, I, I can't wait to see what God's going to do on this. See, that's the way we should react. Instead of going, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are you going to do? What do you mean what are we going to do? I mean, we do what we're doing, right? And, and then we see what the Lord does, amen? Because there was nothing for me to change when I was in school. I just had to keep going through school and do it. Now, you know, I could have quit school and gone to work, and that would have been a big mess because, you know, then you got to reapply. And then, you know, I mean, I was on a schedule. I had to get done in four years. And not any longer than four years because my scholarships were four-year scholarships. And, and I had to, you know, so I planned it all out. I mean, it was every semester I'd figured out, okay, this, this, this. I got to take this class. I got to do this. And, and uh, pretty much was on my own figuring all that stuff out. But, you know, the Lord is wiser than all of us, right? And he gave me a lot of wisdom in those things. And so he said in verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And that word moderation is self-control. Let your self-control be known unto all men unless you, unless you blow your top and then it's okay, right? Unless you just can't, unless you're just an emotional person and it's okay, right? Unless you just can't hold your tongue sometimes and it's okay, right? No, what did he say? Let your moderation be known unto who? All men. That would include people outside the church too, right? You know, how we act in a church should be how we act outside the church, right? And really, you know, a, a person with self-control is exactly the same person every time you see them. Because right, they're always in control of their life. They're always making sure that they don't say things they ought not say. They don't go beyond where they ought to go, either you know, physically or verbally. Uh, they, don't, they don't exceed the will of God. They're always in moderation. They're always under self-control. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians 5.22, it's uh, temperance at the end of that is self-control. And so it's a fruit that you have to develop in your life. You ever felt like sometimes you just, I just don't feel like I'm in control of my life. I just feel like I just, you know, I say these things. I don't, you know, I, don't, I hate saying them, but I end up saying them. I keep doing these things I don't want to do, you know, kind of Paul's situation in Romans chapter 7. And he kept doing the things he didn't want to do, wasn't doing the things he wanted to do. Well, what was he lacking in? Self-control, right? It wasn't that he was lacking in faith necessarily. He just wasn't applying his faith towards self-control. And so he said, let your self-control be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. In other words, you don't want to be caught with your hand in a cookie, cookie jar and the Lord show up. Oh, hey, hey, Lord, uh, you know, well, you don't have uh, nothing. I'm just, you, know, uh, you don't want to be 
getting mad and angry and throwing the frying pan through the air and the Lord walks in the door and has to duck, right? The Lord's at hand, right? And, and if he was at hand 2,000 years ago, where's he now? He's at more hand, right? I don't know what that even means, but, but he's closer now than he was even then. Amen. So uh, we, should always, we should always live with the thoughts of Jesus is right there. He's at hand. He's right there. And are the things that you're doing pleasing to him? Would he be pleased to see you doing the things you're doing? Would he be pleased to hear the things that you're saying? Would he be pleased to, to know what you're saying you know, about this person or about this situation? Uh, if the Lord's at hand, see, then, then um, that, that kind of keeps us on the straight and narrow, doesn't it? Amen. So it's not to abuse us or to, to uh, pressure us in anything. But then he comes down to verse 6 and he says, Be careful for nothing unless it's concerning your finances. Is that what it says? Be careful for nothing unless it's dealing with your children. Be careful for nothing unless it's about your job. Be careful for nothing unless it's about the government or COVID or the, the election or, you know, the street signs or whatever it is, right? Is there, a, is there a footnote anywhere in there? Be careful for nothing. For, so, so how many things should you be careful for? Well, nothing means what? I know that's deep, right? But, uh, you know, I, I know people probably go and do a deep dive on Greek and, you know, all the language in that. But nothing just means nothing, right? We, I mean, uh, I've never looked that word up because it seems pretty straightforward to me that nothing means nothing, right? And, and what more could, could the, the, the dictionary add to nothing? Zero, zilch, nada, right? Okay, with all that stuff still means nothing. So uh, uh, if you want to, we can go look it up and find out that it means exactly what we just said, right? It means nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, the Amplified of that version, verse 6, says, Do not fret or have any anxiety about everything, but in every circumstance, in everything by prayer and petition, definite requests with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. Uh, and so, because we don't usually say, don't be careful for anything, right? But uh, do, not, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. So what is on the list of approved things to be anxious about? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, sometimes we have a list, right? Well, it's about my kids. Yeah. And I hear people, I just want to, you know, I do have to bite a nail sometimes because of of temperance, right? Uh, And they'll say, well, you know, uh, I just can't quit worrying about that, you know. You just can't help worrying about some things. Really? Oh, I mean, is that what it says? Be careful for nothing, except for those things you can't help worrying about. Some things you just can't help it. You know, you just, it's, just, it's, just, it's too big. You have to worry about it, you know. Well, everybody worries about their kids, you know. Uh, and, um, you know, one, one of my favorite stories of Brother Hagen, uh, was, uh, he had small, small children at the time. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, sometimes we learn things. You know, they're all based on the Word of God, but sometimes our life experiences kind of accelerate our knowledge of the Word, right? Because we, we get in a circumstance and we've got to figure out how to get out of it. And we train ourselves, okay, I can use the word to get out of this. Now, someone over here, you know, having never gone through that life experience, may never have come up with a situation that they had to deal with that. And so they haven't trained their faith to deal with that. And so, you know, now you don't have to go through life experiences. You know, some people say, well, I come from the school of hard knocks. Well, that's great, you know, good for you. I'm just going to learn from your hard knocks and not have to have any. You know, I'm going to learn to duck, right? Uh, well, you know, I didn't duck and got, you know, got knocked out. Well, then next time duck, dummy, right? And so I'm going to learn, okay, then I get in that situation, I'll duck. Uh, so I don't have to go through the school of hard knocks. And sometimes we like to elevate our natural experiences as being more valuable than your faith. Well, I've never had to go through any of that. Well, you know, 
when you're like me, brother, and you go through these hard things, you know, sometimes you'd have to go through these hard things. And, and, and uh, I remember one minister said, well, unless, you know, your first year of ministry, unless you only eat oranges and nearly starve to death and, and are broken and, and don't have any money, unless you do that, you know, you'll never really amount to anything in your ministry. Like, that is the, the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard. Because why are you eating oranges, dummy? I mean, you know, you can come here and get a box of food anytime you want to. You can go to any church and get a box of food. So why weren't you going to get a box of food from the church? Well, you know, I don't know. There ain't no reason to eat oranges, except now you can brag on it and say how wonderful you are. Well, I thought the Lord was your provider. Then uh, if he's your provider and he's only providing oranges, that'd be really disappointing, right? You go down to the soup kitchen and all they have is oranges every day. Uh, in the government surplus, you know, you can only, they give you food stamps, but you can only buy oranges and uh, you know, we used to be on government surplus food back before food stamps. And, you know, if the lady came around, well, what you got today? Oranges. Is that it? Yep. Well, will you come back tomorrow? Yep. What are you bring tomorrow? Oranges. Well, that's great. Is there anything else we can have? Nope. You can have anything you want to as long as it's oranges. I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, that would be crazy, right? And so, you know, sometimes I hear people brag, but they brag about the fact that they did that. Not about the power of God that saw them through it, but... Well, I suffered all these things, you know, and, and I'm like, blah, 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 because, you know, that's not, that does not impress me. In fact, you know, another, another Brother Hagen story, we didn't finish the other one, you know, about his kids being small, but we'll finish that. After he left his last church, he passed for about 11 years. He's actually 11 years and, and 11 months, I think he said. Uh, and then he went on, on full-time ministry traveling, right? He was a traveling minister. And he said for the first year, he's just broke. He, at the end of the year, he was like $100, $200 short, which, you know, back in... Uh, right after depression days that's a lot of money and uh you know he said his kids weren't well clothed you know well fed weren't cared for his wife wasn't uh well dressed she just had one dress and he said it really wasn't appropriate to wear but it's the only one she had and um, uh, he said he had uh he said at the time jc Penney's uh, sold three kinds of shoes they sold the uh it's a dollar 98 and 298 $1.98 for the good ones, $2.98 for the better ones, and $3.98 for the best ones, for the best shoes. Uh, and and he, said, he said, I never did make enough money to get the best. He said, I'd kind of go back between the good and the better. Uh, $1.98 pair of shoes and $2.98 pair of shoes. Uh, and he said, for the whole year, they just were behind. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, the Lord did that to teach you, you know, humility and make sure that you really understand the harshness of, of being in a ministry. And he said, he said, after a year, he went to the Lord and asked him about it. Uh, Lord, you said in your word in, in Isaiah 119 that the, 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 uh, that the willing and obedient shall eat the good, the good of the land. He said, I'm not eating the good of the land. My kids, you know, he went through the same scenario. My kids are not well-fed, well-clothed. My wife's not well-clothed. I've got these, you know, just the $1.98 pair of shoes, you know, uh, and uh, I'm broke. Uh, and uh, what's up? Because you, you said in your word, here's a promise, you said in your word that the willing and obedient, and he said, I've been willing to do, uh, or I've been obedient to do what you told me to do. And the Lord said, well, you're right, except you're unqualified for that verse. Said, what do you mean? I'm, he said, I did everything you told me to do. He said, you did. He said, you were obedient. He said, but you never have been willing. Not in your heart. See, obedience can be measured on the outside. Did you go? Did you say? Did you stop? Did you turn? That's, that's, you can measure that, you're right. But you can't me measure willingness. You can do all those things and not want to do any of those things. And see, he wanted to be home with his kids and with his wife instead of traveling all the time. And so the Lord said, yeah, that's, that promise is true. But you've unqualified for that promise. You, not me. I didn't, it was not my will. My will, I told you what my will was. If you're willing and obedient, 
I will let you eat the good of the land. I will provide the good of the land for you. That's my will. That's my desire. You, however, are unqualified to, to receive that promise. Uh, and so, so even though he suffered for a whole year, was that on the Lord? Was that the Lord's doing to show him, you know, how hard it is, you know, to, to suffer? Now, the Lord did tell Paul about it. He's going to see how the thing you suffer, but it was the persecution, right? This wasn't persecution on Brother Hagin's part. This was foolishness and lack of understanding on his part that he wasn't doing what the Word told him to do in the way that the Lord told him to do it. So, uh, so he straightened up, right? Yeah. And so, so when I hear people kind of bragging about how hard they've had it, to me it's distasteful because uh, who cares how hard you've had it? Has the Lord delivered you from those things? Then tell me how he delivered you. It doesn't matter if you go through hard things because usually if you're going through hard things, it's usually self-infliction, right? It's usually something you did on your own part. And, and I'm not trying to be hard on anybody, but how many times, you know, if you look back, oh, yeah. That's 100% me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I bought that, shouldn't have bought that, you know, ended up being, you know, how many times people say, oh, yeah, I married so-and-so, but, you know, wow, you know, I mean, well, didn't you know, yeah, I really, I knew I shouldn't have married him, but I did, but I did anyway, you know, because, you know, well, they had a nice car and had a good toaster, you know, and so, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, so, but who, who did it? Well, it's on them, right? Uh, and so, uh, and, and again, that doesn't mean that every bad thing that comes in your life is on you. It really just is, how do you respond to that bad thing? See, if you respond to it by faith, then the Lord will deliver you out of them all. So then it's just a thing, right? But when we elevate our hard experiences to be almost like we want glory from people to bow down and feel sorry for, oh, aren't they this spiritual thing? Look at how hard they've got it, you know? And, you know, my goal in my life is to go through every single thing the Lord asks me to go through. And, and as far as anybody's concerned, they can't tell that I've ever gone through anything and some people don't think I've, you've never had it hard at all and that's good that to me that's a testimony of my life because you know people don't know that i'm an orphan don't know that i you know went through school on my own and don't know you know that uh, a lot of things i suffered with my pastor for many years and uh, persecution and difficult things like that and i mean there there were so many people that came out of that ministry with my pastor whose whose lives are a spiritual wreck even today and he's been gone now what uh 14 years, right? Uh, yeah, 14 years this year. Uh, in fact, 14 years tomorrow, he'll be gone. Um, that uh, uh, even today, after 14 years, there are plenty of people that were under his ministry whose lives spiritually are just a shipwreck. Don't go to church anywhere. You know, they say they love God, but, you know, they don't go to church. They don't really follow God much. You know, they, they do some things, you know, look kind of spiritual sometimes, but, uh, but who's li- you know, they, they, they just suffer with with all these problems that they suffered under him, right? Uh, and so, but I suffered under all those things and, and really, and, and not to brag, but I was probably the, the, the biggest lightning rod for a lot of his persecution, right? I mean, you were there, right? I mean, uh, uh, there, was, there was really a goal, uh, and it was a spiritual problem, you know, but the goal, you know, my pastor got kind of crossways and he had a really go- real goal that he had to break everybody's spirit that was in the ministry, uh, to submit to him. And now, now I understand about submission, but I serve the Lord. I worship the Lord God himself. And I don't worship any man, including Brother Hagin. You know, although some people w- would uh, take issue with that statement, but I don't worship Brother Hagin. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, but there's just something in me that I'm made that I, I, I can't break. I just, I, and I won't break, you know. Now, I may not know how to suffer with grace. You know, I'll, I'll suffer, you know, sometimes suffer longer than I need to. But I just, I can't break. I just, I just, there's just, who God made me, you know, I'm not looking for a fight, but I just, 
I just, I can't do it. Because to do it would admit that you are my God. And, and no one in this earth can be my God. Only the Lord God himself. Amen? Nobody is qualified to do that, to be, to be my God. And if my pastor was able to break me, then, then I'd just get up and say, Dumb, oh, pastor, you know, no, we, we wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for you. Really? He didn't shed a drop of blood for me. He didn't take a single sin for me. Didn't take a single stripe for my healing. You know, didn't come out of glory and let it, set everything aside on our own behalf. Now, I love my pastor. You know, he was a wonderful man, you know, and, and I look forward to seeing him someday. And I look forward to, I'll, you know, none of you here knew him, except for, of course, my family. But, um, uh, well, actually, I guess several of y'all knew him. But I look forward to introducing him to you all someday when we get to heaven. And we'll do it gladly. You know, this is my pastor. I loved him, you know, and I want you to get to know him. So, you know, uh, I'm not trying to run him down or anything. Uh, but uh, back to the story with Brother Hagen. Uh, this is not long after they had kids and stuff. And, uh, and um, they had gone somewhere and come back and they were, they were fixing to go in the house and, and they were on the front porch going in the house. And, and uh, I don't remember what the, I don't know if he ever said what the context of the conversation was, but Aretha, his wife said, well, I guess you wouldn't worry if we all, all if me and all the kids just dropped dead right here. Uh, and he said, well, he said, it'd be a little bit late to worry then, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, you're dead. Right? What's it to worry about? You're dead. Uh, and I mean, which is kind of a, you know, uh, you know, a little morbid, but it's a good way to look at it, right? Well, nothing you can do about it now, you're dead, right? And so, uh, uh, and so, I don't know if he slept on the couch that night or not, but, um, uh, but uh, you know, that's, because uh, see, people are all the time trying to get you to worry. Oh, you need to worry about that. You need to worry about me and the kids, you know, and stuff. I, I, I don't worry about my kids. I, I don't worry about my wife. I don't worry about this church. I don't worry about my finances. I don't worry about my health. I just, I just gave it up a long time ago. It was a lost cause because he said, be careful or do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. So, so for me to worry about this church, uh, really, uh, you know, because we've got to get into some other, other verses uh, tonight, but, uh, well, sometime. If you're worrying, if you're fretting and you're, having, you're anxious about something, really what you're saying is, I don't know if the Lord's going to come through. I, I want him to, but I just don't know if he is or not. I don't know if my kids are going to make it. I don't know if my business is going to succeed. I want it to, and I'm going to do everything I can, but at the end of the day, I just don't know, and that makes me anxious. Well, what you're saying is, I don't know if the Lord is on my side. I don't know that he's got my back. I don't know that he's going to come through for me when I need him to come through for me. Uh, And that's really what you're saying. Well, by saying that, what, what you're saying is that I don't know that God is going to do what he said he would do. You know, and, and really what I like to do for myself is I like to keep boiling down what I'm saying until it's, until it's its absolute most accurate statement. Because if you say, I'm just worried about my business. You know, what you're really saying, I mean, you keep on boiling down. At the end of the day, what you're really saying is, I don't believe God is a man of his word. Because that's what you're really saying, right? Because now we kind of wrap it up in this pretty sounding, well, you know, the economic situations are tough right now and people just aren't doing things and, you know, they're not buying this thing that I'm selling right now. And, uh, you know, I mean, all those things may be technically factually correct, but what you're really saying at the end of the day is God will not do what he said he would do. Now, that is a sin. If that's a sin, then so is saying, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. Because it's the same thing. You're saying the exact same thing, but one of them is really, really accurate. The other one is really, really fuzzy. 
and it hides and it masks the real thing that you're trying to say because nobody wants to say, I don't think God's a man of his word. Who would say stuff like that? I mean, you know, we all fear lightning being struck, right? Even though God's, you know, he's out of that business now since the, since the cross, I know. But see, we kind of like to think he does sometimes every now and then push that little red button and just zaps a few people out of here. But uh, so it, it helps you to really boil down what you think and what, you, what you're saying to its, to its absolute essence. Because if you say, I always make it, what you're really saying is, I believe every single time God does exactly what he says he would do. Because that's really what you're saying. Now, you know, it's okay to say, I know I'm going to make it because you're saying that's a statement of faith, right? Because what you really believe is the reason why I say I'm going to make it is because God always does what he's, you know, so there's no need to preach a sermon every time you say something. But, but when we say things in the negative realm, things that sound anxious or fretful, we're really saying things that are, that are, in opposition to God and really accusatory to God that he doesn't do what he says he's going to do. Uh, and, you know, I've told you the, the one fellow was preaching one time and he said, well, you know, those times when, when you're broken and, and, you know, the bill collectors and, you know, all this stuff. And, and I'm thinking, no. I mean, there's been plenty of times when money's been tight, but nobody's ever called me about, unless, you know, it's still like, like an error, you know, you miss a payment or something, forget something. But, but as far as, you know, the, the bill collectors calling you up, hey, you know, you got to pay this bill. And, um, you know, and we've, uh, I mean, I've had plenty of people call me and say that I owe them money. It's like, I don't need money, you know, and I, I mean, there's been plenty of those things. But as far as me not paying my bills and a bill collector start calling, I've been married for 30 years, uh, uh, longer than that. And they've never called me and, and I'll be married another 30 years and they won't call me. And I'll be married maybe another 30 years after that. We'll see how long, maybe, you know, I don't know if that'd be another, I don't know. We'll see, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see when we get there. Uh, and so. Uh, it, it's, but really what they're saying is uh, the Bible says that I was young and now I'm old and many times I've seen the righteous forsaken and many times I've seen them begging bread. Well, that's opposite to the word of God, right? So uh, it, it really helps. If you want to be a person of great faith, you will be, you will be a person of great accuracy in, in what you say uh, because a lot of times we try to mask our doubt and unbelief in some kind of vague, fuzzy-sounding words that are not really accurate, but, but they, if we boil them down to their very most accurate statement, God will not do what he says he's going to do. Because that's really what we're saying, right? Uh, and, and so uh, when he says, do not uh, fret or have any anxiety about everything, see, he tells you why you don't need to be that way. And that's what I, what I love about this verse, is the reason why you have the capacity to not fret or have any anxiety about anything is because you do the next steps in this verse, which is number one, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So if in every situation you pray about it, what's the intent of prayer? To receive, right? I mean, you don't pray. I mean, we already talked about the prayer of faith, right? You don't pray the prayer of faith and well, you know, sometimes, you, uh, sometimes I get it, sometimes I won't. Well, that's not the prayer of faith, right? Prayer of faith always expects what? To always get what you ask for, right? Isn't that what Jesus said many times? Ask and you shall what? Receive. And they say ask and then we're going to take a vote in heaven. And if you, if you get uh, 51%, you can have it. Otherwise, it's too bad, right? Is, is that the way it works in heaven? No. He said ask and what? You shall receive. Is there any exceptions to that? As long as we're inside the will of God, right? We know those, the basics, the premise of that is it's always going to be inside the will of God. 
So if in everything, no matter what the circumstances, but if in every one of those circumstances that you would have the, the temptation to worry and to be fretful about, if in every one of those circumstances you are praying and doing what he says to do and supplication. So, you know, prayers kind of here and supplications kind of here, right? It's just a little bit more emphasis in prayer, right? And, and really, you know, I believe supplication is kind of leading towards um, uh, intercession and we'll get into intercession later on, but it's really kind of a, on, on a spectrum of prayer. You know, you kind of get your prayers where, you know, just, you know, everyday things to pray for your kids and your wife and your, your spouse and your, you know, your dog and your cat and whatever. And then, but then there's an unction to pray beyond that. And that's really where supplication starts coming in, where you start yielding to the Spirit of God in what you to pray for. Uh, and he said, in everything, which would really be primarily a list of things that, that you're tempted to be fretful about. Right? I mean, that, if those are the things you're fretful, those are the things that you're most concerned about right now. And, you know, it's okay to be concerned in the sense of, you know, I see that and I don't want that thing to happen. You know, I see the situation and that's a concern. You know, you can have a concern without worry, right? You can have, well, I see that and, and I, I don't want this person to be harmed. Well, that's showing concern for people, right? I see this and I don't want my, you know, I don't want the bank to come foreclose my house. So you see those things. But, you know, worry is when you're wringing your hands. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And, you, you know, and we all know what worry is. We all know when we're worrying. Uh, you know, of course, some people, I don't know that they really do know uh, because they do it so much. I don't know that they can distinguish from worry from anything else in their life. But when you become a person of faith, worry is, it, although it can be tricky, uh, worry is really easy to, to see. Because uh, if it's the last thing you're thinking about when you go to bed, first thing you think about when, you're, when you wake up, you're in worry. If you wake up in the middle of the night and that's the first thing you think about, you're in worry, right? If you can't go to sleep because you're thinking about this thing, that you're worrying. If you're at the ball game uh, and, and you miss all the scores because you're thinking about that thing, then you're worried about it, right? If you can't have a conversation, hey, where are you? Oh, yeah, sorry, I was thinking about that situation again. Well, then you're worried about it. So what's heavy on your mind? See, if it's heavy in your mind, then you're in worry. Because that concern, that, that, that fear that it's not going to work out, that God will not do what he said he's going to do, which is the root of it, right? That's the root of the worry is you believe that God will not do what he says he's going to do. Now, we don't like to say it that way, but that's really the essence of it. Because if you believe that, if you, if, if you will understand the word that that's what it's saying, see, then you can change. Because none of us would want to accuse the Lord of not being uh, faithful over his word. And, and we're, not really, uh, we're not really verbally declaring that God is not going to do what he says he's going to do. But that's, what that, what the, but that's what's driving us. You know, that fear that he's not going to do that, right? So it's not, we, we don't say it. But there's a fear that, that that's and it's a real fear, right? It's a real thing that God may not come through. But if we would recognize that, you know, for me to, to worry about that would mean for me to say that God is not going to do what he said he's going to do. And, and I can't say that. I wouldn't say that, you know, and I don't think most people would if you if you really boil it down that way. Uh, and so. But but why why do you not need to be careful? Why do you not need to worry or fret? Because you can pray. And if you pray, and so this thing is bothering you, whatever this thing is, but you know you can come over here and pray, and you know you'll get your answer, well, then why is that a thing? Why are you worrying about that? If you know that you can pray and God will answer your prayer to solve that problem, whatever that is, then why are you worried about it? And that's really the whole point of, of, of Philippians 4, 6, is why do you worry if you know you have the answer? Why do you worry if you know God will answer your prayer? 
well, I don't know if he's going to answer my prayer, but not, then I would worry. <laughs> so, and if I get in the car, you know, you say, well, I don't know if we're going to make it or not, then I would worry. Uh, I know I'm going to make it, but, you know, I don't know about you. Uh, and so, so verse 6 really answers its own self, right? It answers the question of, well, how, how can I possibly live without worry? By doing what the rest of the verse says, right? Because inherently, if you believe that God will do what he says he's going to do, then what is there on the list of things in this world that are worthy to be, to be worried about? If you're worried about your kids, well, can't you pray for your children? Right? You know, I mean, uh, uh, one thing about children, and, and it's just like, like a lot of things, is you know why God put them in your life, right? Just to give you a hard time? No. That's what people on, on, on belief say, right? No, the Lord put your children in your life because he knew you would pray for them. And he, if he put that same child in another family, they may let them die and not ever succeed. Well, I let them make their own choices. Well, that's great, but why didn't you pray for them, right? So, uh, you know, well, you know, and some kids will say, well, I never was asked to be in your family. Well, if you'd asked, I might have said no, right? Uh, but uh, we've got to be careful in, in being despondent about our kids and, you know, things like that because, well, you know, there's, uh, I've got this, all this conflict with my children. Well, then you need to be praying. Because don't you believe these things? Don't you believe that this is a true verse? See, I, I think Philippians 4, 6 is one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible to live a life that, man, I don't worry about anything. Well, won't you worry about, no? Oh, yeah, no. What about, no? I, I can't find anything in my life that I look at and go, that right there, that's worthy to worry, to worry about. That right there, that is something to worry about. And some people, they're world-class worriers, you know? I mean, just, they've got degrees in worry, right? They have PhDs in worry. And they'll just fret and worry and they'll cry and beg and, and plead God, you know, to do something. But, and, but they're still worrying. So basically what they're saying is I don't believe a single thing I just prayed. Because if you really did believe the things you're praying, then God would really come through and answer your prayer and solve the problem. Whatever the problem is, right? Finances or health or, uh, or sickness and disease or, you know, calamity or epidemics or pandemics or, you know, COVID-19. If you really believe God would do that, then what's there to worry about, Right? See, for me, you know, I've got my, my preference of who I want in the White House. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to worry about who's in the White House. I, personally, I will always be okay. I can't say the same about the person over there because I don't know if they're in faith. I can't say that about the person over there. I don't know if they're in faith, but I'm always going to be in faith. So, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it matters from the standpoint of the gospel has to go out and it needs to be as easy to preach as it possibly can. And sometimes a person in the White House makes that easy. Sometimes a person in the White House makes that more difficult, right? If they constrain our finances by taking all of our money, that would, that would constrain the gospel, right? Uh, and, and sometimes my concern is not even for me, but what about the guy over there that's not in faith? You know, he doesn't have the way to get out of it. You know, if the government comes down to heart of him, and I don't know if you've seen, you know, over in Canada, they've, they've put a, a, a chain link fence around a church in Canada because they were meeting evil people. Because they want to have church. I mean, it's like, you know, this is not like the Soviet Union that does things, you know. China, China, they'll just blow the, ch the church up, right? China goes in there and does, they'll actually put dynamite and blow church up. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's like you put up, I mean, are these threatening, are these people threatening anybody? And they put up, and they put a bunch of uh, 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 Canadian Mounties over there to protect the, the fence. So, wow, you know. Uh, has anybody stopped and taken a breath here and looked at, you know, maybe we're a little insane here, right, about, put, I mean, it, it was a huge fence because the church building was as big as the entire building here. 
They put a whole chain link fence around this church building to keep these evil churchgoers from meeting and worshiping God. Uh, things are crazy right now, right? But see, I'm always going to be okay, right? Uh, what if they put a chain link fence around here? I don't know. I'd find, Lord, what do you want to do? You want me to walk to the fence, burn it down? I don't know, you know. You want me to ignore the fence, you know, just preach outside? I, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. I just, Lord, what do you want me to do now? Because uh, see, a lot of times uh, people will, will uh, what happens a lot of times that gets us into worry is we react to the circumstance. And instead of stopping and saying, Lord, here's a new circumstance that I've not seen this before. What do you want me to do about this? I could do nothing. I could do something. I could build a tunnel. I could build a bridge. I could drop in on the parachute. I could totally ignore it. What do you want me to do, Lord? See, I'd ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Instead of, oh, they put that fence around that. What are we going to do now? I don't know. Let's ask the Lord. Doesn't he know everything? You reckon he knew they were going to build that fence around that church? Well, sure, right? Uh, and, and I know it's crazy, but uh, and it just seems insanity about, you know, I mean, wow, you know, these things are just out of control. But, uh, but see, are we going to worry about that? See, we shouldn't worry. I mean, it just, it, there's nothing on the list of events that occur in our life that, are, that should wor- uh, become worthy to worry about. Because if, if that new circumstance occurs, that new event occurs, then it's always good to stop, pause, and do what the rest of verse 6 says. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Uh, and then, and of course, we're out of time now, but um, uh, we may pick that back up next week. But, but this, this particular prayer, the prayer of commitment, uh, if... You know, if you want to live a life of peace where you're at peace just all the time, just full of joy all the time, this is probably the, the single best prayer to learn how to pray in your life. Because if, if you know, in, in our society, in, in um, um, you know, Western civilizations where, where you know, there's a lot of uh, education and, and things like that, and, and that's not to diminish any other, uh, uh, just... The civilizations where similar to ours, where we're industrialized, right? And we have careers and that types of things. Uh, doctors tell you that the number one killer is stress. Well, what's stress? Stress is just worry. It's just another name for worry, right? Uh, and people die of heart attacks because of stress. I'm just so stressed out. Well, you, so you're worrying. So you don't believe God does what he says he's going to do. Well, don't judge me. I'm, not, I'm just, you know, you, you said you're the one worried, not me. Right? And all worry, in essence, is stating the fact that I do not believe God will do what he said he's going to do. Uh, because if you then pray the rest of verse 6, then you're good, right? So you can live a life completely stress-free. No stress whatsoever. Uh, it doesn't matter if, uh, uh, what's ahead of you or not, right? You always have the way out. And, and, um, and I'll tell you this, and we'll go. You know, I, know, I remember the last corporate job that I had that, you know, the, the second day I was there, my boss said, hey, we've got this huge project, huge problem, you know, it's yours. And I said, I don't even know how to spell my name yet. You know, I don't even know where the bathroom is. And you want me to, to do this huge project? I, you know, I mean, this thing's been going on for years, and I just started here yesterday, and you want me to do, do this now? Uh, and so there was a lot of stress on that because it, they were talking about millions of dollars of problems with this thing, right? Millions of dollars. And I didn't know how to solve it and, and uh, didn't know who, who could know how to solve it. But I would go into my office every, every morning. And I'd, I had an office. So I'd close the door. And I'd just, uh, I would just uh, spend a minute and just talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, you know the beginning from the end. And you have more wisdom than, uh, in your pinky finger than the entire world has ever had. And I don't know. I said those exact words. But in essence, that's what I was saying. And, 
uh, and said, Lord, I, I need wisdom. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know how to do this, but you know how to do it. And so I ask you to give me wisdom to, to solve this problem, to show me how to do it. Uh, and sure enough, you know, the Lord, we had two major problems. They gave me both problems, the two biggest problems uh, in the company at that time. They gave them both to me because they just loved me so much. Uh, and and uh, but, but instead of me worrying about it, now I worked a lot of hours, you know, because sometimes, I mean, you just got to do it, right? Uh, you got to put the hours in. Uh, and it's not about working hard. It, it was just, you know, there was a lot of work that had to get done to fix the problems. But I could still do it with joy and peace uh, and say, Lord, you have wisdom to do this. And in both cases, he, he gave me a way out. You know, we solved both problems and, uh, and we still had to pay some money on it. But it, instead of being millions, like, like $15 million on one of them, I think we ended up paying, I don't know, two or three million dollars, which is a lot of money, but still better than 15 million. Right. Uh, and so. So and, uh, and you can learn that, that uh, if something comes up and you feel that blood pressure rising, you ever felt that blood pressure? You know, what do you do? Pray. You say, Lord, I'm, I'm not doing that. I refuse to I refuse to worry about it. Uh, because, you know, really, at the end of the day, it's going to be there tomorrow. It'll be there the next day, the day after that. Uh, you know, now, unless the Lord changes it, right? But, it, but some circumstances, your job or your bad boss or whatever, they'll be there tomorrow, the day after. You know, it may take them a while to get out of there. But, and we've prayed for plenty of bosses to move on, haven't we, Chris? You know, uh, evil bosses, right? Because the Bible does say he will deliver us from wicked and unreasonable men. Uh, that would include women, too, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, my boss... I've had some bad bosses. I'm bo- my, my wife has had world-class bad bosses. You know, I mean, like, like uh, princely bad bosses, like the, the cream of the crop bad bosses. And, and, uh, and I'm just embarrassed that I never had nearly as many bad bosses as she's had. Uh, and so, but we've prayed every one of them out, haven't we, right? And some of them, you got their job. And, and so it, it's, uh, uh, it, it, the Lord's been good, amen? Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Father, that we have the ability to live a life without worry, without stress, Father, without uh, anxiety, without fretting. We have the ability to do that. And, Father, if we can, then we will. And we thank you, Father, we can live a life free from worry, free from stress and, and distress, Father. We thank you for these things, Lord. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this evening's offering. And um, I, I really love this particular prayer because I believe this prayer, this particular type of prayer, the prayer of commitment, is an area that will help a lot of people live a long life uh, of joy. Amen. You know, a lot of people a lot of life, and and you see it on their face. You know, worry will just, you know, um, you can put all the the wrinkle cream on your life if you want to. You know, you can take a bath in wrinkle cream, but if you worry a lot, ain't nothing you can do about it. You're going to wrinkle up a lot. Amen. And so come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And you can see that a lot of people that just, you can see them beat down with the cares of life. Uh, and it's sad because they could have lived the same exact life, nothing changed, and been happy and been able to rejoice in every circumstance. Uh, now, I would much rather go through the exact same circumstances with joy than suffering with the exact same circumstances under, under uh, anxiety. Now, I mean, that's a choice, right? You can... Because, uh, you know, it's like you either got to do it with joy or you got to do it with stress. Either way, it's got to get done, right? So if it's your job or whatever it is. Uh, and so, so we'll keep on uh, talking about this next week some. We've got some really good scriptures. The Bible's got a lot of great things to say about this. Uh, and if we get our faith in that direction, then uh, we can live a life that's carefree and full of joy. Amen. So uh, be blessed. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. And we'll see you all on Sunday.